This podcast was recorded on the Gadigal land of the Aora Nation and on Ngunnawal and Ngambri country. This land was stolen and never ceded. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians and elders past and present, and we acknowledge the power of truth-telling and voice in preserving the oldest living culture in the world. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Clea. And I'm Ava, and you're listening to the Bimbo Industrial Complex. Welcome. <laughs> ASMR Big Xenophon riding. ASMR. <laughs> ASMR, we should do an ASMR like um election day, like the sound of the sausage sizzling, the papers rustling, the pencils scratching, you know? You can actually, I found out you can go and vote at Old Parliament House. <gasps> That's cool. So I was like, what if, you know, what if I just made it a whole day? Oh, it would probably be such a vibe in Canberra. Yeah. I think I'm seeing a lot of signs everywhere, like people getting into it. I don't know. Maybe Canberra's the only place in Australia where, like, you're more likely to go to the pub and watch the budget on TV than they <laughs> Yeah, I think you'd probably safe safe to say that. Yeah, like like bars here will like televise budget night and stuff they have like budget parties, oh my gosh which is kind of quick it's, but kind of sad it's just a whole other world like it really is it's its own place you know mm-hmm. unique special um so if you haven't gathered by that little prelude there clear and i are doing our election special so special how long do we have? We have like four weeks mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. Australia votes. Um, yeah. And you can start voting early as well, um, which is kind of good. Saves you the hassle. And like, I can't even eat a democracy sausage. So I might just vote early and get it out of the way. Lots of places have vegetarian sausages, though. It just depends what electorate you live in, really. Yeah, really need to go to like Adam Bands electorate to get a vegetarian sausage these days. Yeah. Um, before we begin, I have some disclaimers. Oh, love it when you do your legal thing. <laughs> the first, okay, is that under, under the Electoral Act, let me make this clear. The dominant purpose of this communication is to be satirical, academic, educative, and or artistic um and this broadcast is maybe maybe all four at once maybe all four at once is not designed to influence or promote in any way one party above the other I think we've tried quite hard to make this as independent obviously we have our own biases um and we're happy to acknowledge those but make this as independent and overview vibes as possible it's not a political ad um but yeah that is that is the vibes of today um and you need to go and do your own research okay (laughs) okay and vote for not often not often on this podcast will we endorse you to do your own research (laughs) but today just don't listen to what we we do yeah most of the time we don't want you looking up the things we say because to be honest most of them I like have misremembered from tiktoks so (laughs) but now that that's out of the way, um, impo- yeah, important to remember mm-hmm. that we're just we're just providing some vibes, not particular endorsements of any one person. Because to be honest, they're all bastards. They're all bastards. Mm. <laughs> well, you can influence me with some hot girl wrecks if you would like to share. Yeah, okay. I have some election-related Ozpol hot girl wrecks. Mm-hmm. first is a book which I think I've actually talked about on the podcast before but it's called The Game by Sean Kelly and it's basically about how like ScoMo has like constructed his persona um 
the, about the scamosas and the trophy he has on his desk that says I stopped the boats and kind of like um it's not a biography as much as it is like an analysis of his publicly constructed persona Mm. Um, which I tried to endeavour to read every PM's autobiography, but I wasn't really in the mood to read ScoMo's, nor does it exist yet. So I um, had a go at this one by Sean Kelly, and it's really, really good. There's some underlying, underlying passages, real underlying passages, vibes in that book. Um, and for something a little bit more lighthearted and fun, obviously Sammy J who is on the ABC and he does like political satire. He like dresses up as a, like a sports coach and like goes to parliament and like pretends like he's like doing football after match interviews and like did this whole series about like play school vibes. Anyway, he's really funny. Um, Sometimes he does things with a little purple puppet. I kind of rate that. Yeah. And I think he's also a gorgeous, gorgeous man, which, you know, I love skinny blonde kooky guys. So. Oh, sounds beautiful. I love. I'll also do some electorally themed recs. My first one is my bimbo rec for people who are like really fatigued and like don't like following election news is just make sure you follow like the Batuta Advocate or the Chaser because they will normally post about like every time there's like a major political event they'll post something about it but it won't be like a long article it will just be like a picture and a headline and then if that grabs your attention and you want to know more about it then you can go research in detail but it's a good way if you get like stressed out by the news or you just feel a bit overwhelmed like just follow something satirical you'll see that something's happened and then you can choose whether or not you want to investigate further Mm -hmm. I just wanted to actually read you this tweet from the Scott Morrison parody account I think it's oh Scotty from marketing yeah um It says, just sent a text to congratulate President Macron on his victory in the French election. He replied, Novotel, qui c'est? Uh, can anyone translate? <laughs> oh, my French my girl is God. <laughs> Truly. That is so good. And then I do have my academic recs are number one, if you do you know, want to just make some extra money, you can apply to work at an electoral centre on election day. There are lots of different roles that you can do. Obviously, it's just for like one day or you can maybe do like set up and pack down like the days before and after. Mm -hmm. And I think you get paid like 25 to 50 bucks an hour. So it's pretty good um, if you're looking for a little bit of money. And then my second one is I know that people like, hate voting below the line in the senate and like think that it's so much effort but because I am a hater to my core what I do when I vote below the line is I start off by going from the bottom and it makes it so much easier yeah I fundamentally agree with that proposition however it does require you to be good at counting something of which I am not good at because (laughs) when I voted in the federal election in 2019 I had to redo my ballot paper three times because I miscounted the um, number of ballots like the number of boxes and I think the polling people were really annoyed at me so then the next you don't even have to count the number of boxes it says like number one to 56 or however many there are no there was no numbers on the boxes Maybe okay, I'm well. stupid. Anyway, I had made a lot of mistakes. That's why they give you a pencil, not a pen. <laughs> yeah, but I agree. I like to, yeah, I like to do it with hate. But then when you get to the middle, you're like, it starts to become like quite a complex ethical thing. It's like, who do I hate more, you know? I know. It's hard. I mean, obviously, like, it's probably not ever going to get down to that. But, like, it just... It takes like two minutes instead of 10 seconds. Like obviously it takes longer than just putting a one in a box. But yeah, you just get to get out so much more hatred. It's so petty. You have to do it once every three years anyway. Like it really, it's not that hard. Like just think and number the boxes a bit, you know? Yeah. Because it's fun. It's dramatic. Like 
yeah, it's main character energy to bow below the line. I love it when the paper's really long as well and you're like, I have to unfold it and it's longer than the little boo. Mm-hmm. Hot girls vote below the line. Literally. Mm. It's such hottie energy. Now, we've done something a bit diabolical here <laughs> and assigned a bimbo to each major party or big energy minor party (laughs) and what we're going to do is kind of go through the policies of each party um and kind of talk about what's different this election um and then kind of go into some more general election vibes and also talk about some micro parties because we love a micro party you know size doesn't matter oh my gosh Um, a skinny party (laughs) little tiny baby party so cute obviously we're gonna so let's start should we start with our little bimbo assignments yeah so let's start with our bimbo assignments okay obvious choice is one there was no contention the alp or the labor party is dolly parton we know that she there's a video of her thanking albo for like getting her some buses have you seen she's just i have not seen it I would love to watch it. When she was on tour, um, she like got stuck somewhere. And then Albo was like, let me just, let me just cut some red tape for you babes and give you some buses. And then she like said that she would smear lip gloss all over him. It's just so darling. Yeah. Well, we know that she is a working class icon. Like she wrote nine to five. Need I say more? Yeah. Um, and like, did unions get us the 40 hour work week or did Dolly Parton? I'm just, I don't know. These questions need to be asked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she just, just, she doesn't forget her roots. No. And she definitely doesn't forget to touch up her roots either. Um, obviously, LNP, a little liberal national alliance of a thing I think someone to give like energy are like Rachel Anderson the PM in total control she's not really a bimbo but she is blonde and she is liberal <laughs> um and Regina George I just feel like she gives LMP energy as well definitely I've also got Karen Smith from Mean Girls in here because um she thinks she knows a lot about the weather but she's always wrong about it which is like the LMP when it comes to climate change and floods Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have Velma von Tussel, who's the mum in Hairspray. Truly diabolical, backstabbing, sneaky, very much like all the leadership spills that they've had. Mm-hmm. And then I had with a question mark Isla Fisher in Confessions of a Shopaholic, just because she becomes a bit fiscally conservative, you know? Mm. And also, she's like super into capitalism and the market regulating itself, you know? Exactly. And she also had some and she's, card, just like the cashless welfare card. Exactly. And she's like, hell, I feel like she'd be a bit of a bootstraps person being like, oh, well, I was able to get out of debt. You know, like if you just work hard. Um, yeah. The Greens, I immediately thought of like, I can't remember her name, but in John Tucker Must Die, you know how there's like the three girlfriends and then there's the one who's like really into the environment. She just really, yes. well, brown to me. So cute. Shia Horowitz because she's like really passionate about getting everybody a seat at the table yeah it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty we can make more seats for the refugees Mm -hmm. absolutely Derek Zoolander Derek Zoolander I just had that because he just has such an appreciation of nature and of like important social issues like he's building the Derek Zoolander Center for children who can't read good like he has a really strong sense of social justice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. and yeah. this one need no explanation and almost I'm too afraid to explain is that Trisha Paytas simply belongs to the United Australia Party and that's all I'm gonna say about that <laughs> I think it's just trying to stay relevant with just wackier and wackier publicity stunts and just not accepting that it's not working. Like, just... Just deep breaths, everybody. 
but also like producing some really great content in the process. Like I'm not going to lie, Clive Palmer's Facebook page, kind of funny. Trisha Paytas singing Shallow, both parts, pretty funny as well, you know? Mm. And just like in like YouTube, like every YouTube ad I get lately is UAP ad. Oh my gosh. So that's just they both... targeted ads are not working. No, like, well, maybe they are. That's the one thing I expect to get <laughs> from targeted ads. Like, yeah, okay, you're watching me, you have all my data, you listen to me breathe when I sleep, whatever. Like, but don't give me Palmer United Party. I mean United Australia Party ads. Did you get the text messages from them? I didn't get their text. Yeah, I did. Felt a bit left out. <laughs> but again, like I'm not surprised because I will put my decals into anything. Like if there's like a little flap that opens up in a wall on in like an alleyway that I'm walking down and ask me for my email address, I would give it to them, you know? <laughs> yeah. I. Oh, man. They know too much. Anyway. Shall we get into the the substantive of this? Maybe you just want to base your voting decisions purely on bimbo assignments. That's fine. You can stop listening now if you want. Yeah. Um, But let's get into the policies because I feel like every day we're just getting some new policies. Like on the weekend, ScoMo was in like a boating camping fishing store just talking about upgrading fishing facilities. And I was like, oh. Okay. (laughs) Cool. Okay. It's great. Um, and uh, then a like gaggle of journalists surrounded him and started screaming, is this a pork barrel? Is this a pork barrel? And it was, I think, quite a good moment in Australian <laughs> uh, political journalism. That's so beautiful. Um, Would you like to explain what pork barreling is? Yeah. For those who weren't Polls 1101 students? Uh, yeah, it's basically when um, you give a lot of money to something um designed to win votes so for example um you've got a marginal seat full of boaters campers and fishers and all of a sudden there's a bunch of new boating camping and fishing facilities um although whether that's pork ballering or not you know is remains to be seen um but we i wish i lived in a marginal marginal seat you imagine i wish people were fighting over me no one ever comes to visit us. I know. Because it's like, it's like when my parents got divorced, like I wanted them to fight over me and try and like win me over with nice gifts and stuff. And they never did that. So I think I need like, I need the government to do that. Should we go on for a, my like, self-esteem? A podcast trip to Bass? <gasps> Maybe we should. Mm. Um, yeah. Actually, do we do you want to talk about what's different? from the last federal election first or do you want to just get straight into the policy stuff um I don't mind what would you prefer so, you want to talk to us a bit about what presidentialism is sure I feel like probably it's presidentialism has been on the rise in Australia since like the 90s mm-hmm. and it's basically we don't live in a presidential system in Australia so we live in a parliamentary system where the two parties Labor and Liberal they'll choose their leaders and whichever one of those parties forms government their leader will be Prime Minister so we don't directly vote for our Prime Minister but this election has basically boiled down to a referendum on Scott Morrison I would say would you agree? Yeah I think the reason why presidentialism has become so in focus or like has become quite a dominant theme of this election is because both men have really strong personalities and like Mm. there's like such a construction of personality so like we know Albo is you can almost rattle it off like Albo comes from a single mother household in public housing ScoMo loves to make ScoMosas and watch the Cronulla Sharks (laughs) like and I think probably it's a response to how strong Scott Morrison's public persona is like how they've tried to mm. up elbows definitely seen that before like you had Kevin 07 Kevin Rudd still is working really hard on that personal brand with all his handball content and it's just because it makes it so much easier to like comprehend and visualize you know this platform as being represented by a person rather than being like 
it's actually disparate group of like you know hundreds of people each of whom are pledged to the same party but might have slightly different loyalties or be part of a faction or you know have their own specific beliefs and policies so like it just makes it easier for us as voters and for the media to kind of simplify it so that we don't have to be across everything all at once Mm -hmm. but then it kind of makes us a little bit complacent and potentially a little bit ignorant yeah I feel like I could really tell you a lot about like what Albo had for lunch and like what ScoMo's favorite brand of pajamas is but like I don't I had to google all their policies so yeah I don't know how I feel about that. I also feel like charismatic leaders in Australia tend to have like certain like characteristics, um, like masculinity and like family values and stuff like, and then I don't know, they're all just politicians at the end of the day. But just remember that there's a lot of backstabbing uh, in federal politics and you know, don't vote just because you like the leader because, to be honest, if you history is anything to go by, mm-hmm. in five minutes he'll probably be out. Yeah. Um, and we know that in Australia, we, what have you had, five prime ministers in five years or something like that? It's yeah. probably not that much anymore because we've had three years of LNP government. But for a while there, it was a bit, it was a bit touch and go. It's a bit touch and go. Feeling everywhere like a slushy in glee. But something good um, that has changed in this election is we have the highest enrolment rate that we've ever had. So I think it's 96.3% of eligible voters are registered. Mm -hmm. Um, That's extremely slay. Yes. Well done to the AEC for slaying so hard and getting everybody to enroll. Also, I love how it was like giving, submitting your assignment at the last date vibes where they were like, guys, like nearly half of all the youths <laughs> haven't re- registered. And then they were like the night before they were like, biggest day of enrollment ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's giving, submitting your assignment at 11.59 p.m. So good. We love to see it. Congratulations, everyone. Congratulations. Um, and for many people, many people, 18-year-olds, it will be their first federal election. So how exciting for them. How exciting. How bloody good. Well, should we talk about talk about the big issues? Mm, I feel like the biggest issues that have been dominating the discourse at the moment is cost of living. Mm-hmm. Um, and Albo always wants to talk about the federal ICAC, which we can get into. But yeah. also kind of, I don't know, I was surprised because I thought this would be very like women and climate change orientated, mm. but maybe I live in a bubble. I mean, I live in the Canberra bubble, so obviously I live in a bubble, but like I was surprised to hear some of the things that have been coming out as like major discussion points, like everything that's going on about trans athletes, like we can get into that, but like what, like why, like who... <laughs> like no wait wait. who asked like who asked like yeah did you see that video of dad andrews and he was like no one has ever said anything to me about this ever (laughs) like what are you guys doing it's Um, simply a non-issue yeah i feel like cost of living has become a huge issue because at the last election it was like jobs and growth was like the really big thing but you know comparatively throughout covid i mean unemployment is like the lowest it's been in forever and you know, growth is pretty, pretty steady, all things considered. So I think now it's kind of like taking the focus back because, you know, pretty much everyone does have a job and there are still all these underlying, underlying societal issues that we have. So I think it's kind of good, at least that the rhetoric is getting away a little bit just from like pure economic indicators into actual like Obviously, cost of living is still an economic indicator, but it's a bit more grounded in, like, people's lived experience. Yeah, I feel like it's very interesting. It's going to be very interesting to see how COVID affects, because this is the first federal election we've had in the post-COVID era. And Mm. by post-COVID, I mean, like, post-2020, not like COVID's over. But, um, yeah, it will be very interesting to see how how that plays out. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about the unemployment rate? I feel like 
it'll be good to get your insight as um, the Bimbo Industrial Complex Chief Economist. <laughs> well, there's, there's just not that much to say. Like we have a historically low unemployment rate in Australia at the moment. Um, there's still, you know, like some obviously ongoing issues to do with COVID and some states like have performed better than others, unsurprisingly, like Western Australia, um, the economy is doing very, very well. Um, so basically on the jobs front, we need more people in our jobs than we have, um, especially in what are often called like unskilled occupations. So things like manual labor, um, because we used to rely on a large workforce of temporary migrant workers. So basically like backpackers. Mm -hmm. um, so like in WA, there used to be a large backpacker workforce that would do hospitality in regional areas or who would pick fruit, or do all those kinds of um, seasonal jobs. Mm -hmm. So basically, yeah, we're in the opposite predicament that probably you'd expect a country to be in, in that we actually don't have quite the match of skills or the match of people that we need to do the jobs that we have is the main problem in employment land. And is it actually a good thing if we have like a 0% unemployment rate? So there should always be like, there's a natural rate of unemployment. So it depends, like it's, it's a very theoretical thing. Like you're never going to actually know what the natural rate of unemployment is. Um, but there should always just be like a little bit of a cushion there because there should always be some like elasticity or movement in the labor force. So if someone, you know, if you need an extra worker, there should be like a, at least a small pool of people mm -hmm. that you can then pull in to do that job. Because if we're at full employment, then it just makes it really hard for the labor market to be flexible because then like, for example, if I leave my job, there's no one to take my job over. Yeah. And then chaos can ensue. So a smidge of unemployment um, is good. And that could result from lots of things. That could just be from people like taking time off between moving jobs, all that kind of thing. I just feel like, yeah, it's such a big talking point. And then I, and like everyone's like, why don't you know the number of this number, economic indicator? And it's like, well, like that means nothing if you don't actually contextualize like what those numbers are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's kind of nice in a way that I think we've, like, moved away from, like, the economy is just jobs and economic growth and inflation rates. But, I mean, we still are hearing a lot of that, especially because we had the budget so recently. It's quite fresh in everyone's minds. Mm -hmm. God, I love the ABC winners and losers budget page. Oh, so good. Yes. Um, oh, my God. All right, let's get let's get even deeper into the weeds and talk about an issue that is making me sad. It's close to our hearts. It's it's making me cry. Uh climate change. So you want to talk us through what's going on with climate change policy in the major parties? Sure. So the LNP and the ALP have both committed to net zero carbon emissions by 2050. So there are a few differences in these policies. So Labor wants to like basically for it to be a quicker process and it to be done by more investment in renewable energy, whereas uh, the Liberal Nationals want to basically improve technology so um, through things like carbon capture and storage rather than actually divesting from like fossil fuels, natural gas, all of that. And then unsurprisingly, the most ambitious climate change policy comes from the Greens who want net zero by 2035. Um, and so they would achieve this by switching entirely to renewable energy, building better batteries and subsidising electric cars to make them cheaper and they're planning to pay for this uh, by raising corporate tax rates. Mm. And I just want to give a shout out to those memes that are like, if you know what is, you won't be affected by the Greens tax reform mm. plan. Like if you've ever cut open a meagering flavouring packet to make sure you get it all out, you won't be affected by the Greens tax reform plan. 
It's really interesting, actually, um, when I was doing some like research into policies for this episode, is that the Greens have like a whole tab on their website that's like, wait, how are we going to pay for this? Because I think like a lot of Greens policies are like super liberal and super ambitious. And you think like, yes, <laughs> slash my hex down, make it disappear. But then the next question is like, well, how, how are you going to do that? And Adam Bant's like, yeah. tax the rich, obviously. So yeah it's interesting how I think like people are often like but how the f are we going to pay for this greens but no one's like how are we going to pay for the cost of when the earth's on fire like who's going to put that fire out (laughs) yeah and I think like also as normal like your typical your average quiet Australian when we hear about like tax reform say by the Liberal Party we kind of also don't think about what that costs us. So, for example, you know, like cutting the corporate tax rate or doing certain things also has a huge cost. Like that's billions of dollars Mm -hmm. to the economy. Um, That's also really costly. It's just a different, like a different mechanism. So that's something to think about. Um, Kind of coming in relation to cost of living housing, obviously we live in rental nightmare cities Claire and I mm-hmm. um, where you can pay $600 a week to live in a shoebox there's a really nice shoebox it's like a shoebox for like a pair of knee-high boots yeah it has like free black mold so you can make your own sourdough it's so good um, and like we're seeing actually older women become increasingly vulnerable group um to become Mm -hmm. homeless and like housing security obviously like this is something that's been going on forever between kind of like younger generations and older generations where they're like simply just stop buying avocado toast and then someone was like even if we didn't eat avocado toast for like 90 years we would maybe not have a deposit Mm -hmm. um so so what what are we going to do about it well, the LNP and the ALP both have plans about regional housing um, and Labor has um, promised 30,000 new social and affordable houses and the Greens have probably promised a million. Um, we're also seeing from the Liberal Party uh, a lot more like cash incentive subsidization subsidies to get into the mm-hmm. housing market. So the homeowners grant has increased, I'm pretty sure. Um, and also like the percentage that you need for a deposit has like gone down significantly, um, which can be really good, but can also create its own problems as well. Um, mm-hmm. In that like when you give people a house for a 2% deposit, that's great. But like, how will they afford to pay off the entire mortgage? Um, yeah, this is, this is where the big short comes in mm-hmm. as an excellent film. Yeah. Like, like yeah, exactly. Up. Yeah, And it also, like, while it might be good for someone who, say, is on, like, a very steady income, like, a 2% deposit might be a good thing. For a lot of people, it, like, it isn't a good thing because then you just have to pay so much more interest, like, as compared to, say, paying a 10% deposit. Over time, you're going to end up paying so much more for your house. So, yeah. Yeah. So definitely can be good for some people, not necessarily good for everyone and may encourage irresponsible lending but hopefully the banks have learned something from the royal commission Mm, actually on predatory lending Mm. there is some things going through the courts at the moment about predatory lending um and like asset-based loans um and if anybody wants to talk about that slide into my dms because i'm obsessed with the doctrine of unconscionable conduct and predatory lending and why afterpay needs to be abolished oh my gosh afterpay should be illegal it should be illegal i can't believe like they can run all those promotions to be like oh like you know 50 dollars off when you spend 600 dollars on afterpay i'm like this should be illegal how can they have afterpay in a pub how am i gonna afterpay a vodka lemon lime and bitters tell me that I'm already after paying it with my liver. I don't need to after pay it with my wallet too. Um, um, 
anyway, on to something more cheerful. Immigration policy. God slay. So unsurprisingly, so woeful from both of the major parties. So the LNP actually have more of a like actual firm policy platform than the ALP on this, but it's still, you know, it's not much. It's 16,500 additional humanitarian visas over the next four years for people fleeing Afghanistan. It's like, yeah, babes, you've sent us there. I should hope so. Um, I think now's a good time also to talk about small target versus big target. Um, Mm -hmm. For my fans of Polls 1101, you'll remember that uh, small target is basically where you say as little policies as possible. Um, whereas big target is like specifying your policies and obviously it's safer for incumbent parties to specify their policies mm-hmm. one thing I will say is the ALP have come out with a very hard stance on boat turnbacks and um, offshore detention which from like a I can see what they're trying to do they're trying to capture like marginal voter bases you know who are interested of racists yeah but then they're like alienating like their major party base like I just I can't imagine too many of like the inner city lefty like labor party constituents are like pro boat turnbacks and I haven't read the you know polls or whatever but it just it seems to be a really weird thing to take such a hard stance on um it, yeah, it just seems like a very transparent political move to me. But it's not really great on either side from either party. The Greens, on the other hand, they're like, let's let's maybe do some human rights. Yeah, let's maybe spend all that money instead of having four people in a detention centre that costs a million dollars a day to run. Yeah. Maybe let's give refugees some education while they're waiting to be processed. Mm-hmm. Maybe just like let them live among normal people. Yeah. I don't I think people who don't fundamentally understand how much it costs to like keep people in offshore detention for like no reason. No, it's like when um people when they were trying to get rid of um, imprisonment for defaulting on fines in WA and people are like, oh but they cost the government money. It's like yeah, they accumulated $400 of parking fines don't even cover what it costs to keep them in prison for one day. Yeah, not good. And um, obviously, like, I think our bias is showing a little bit, but um, the UN Special Rapporteur on, like, treatment of refugees has, like, criticised Australia's human rights in this area, um, and it's probably something we could just maybe fix before we lose our um, human rights ratings <laughs> um, as they go down the toilet. Health is obviously a big one because it's a COVID election, baby. Both parties have, I think all three parties actually that we've been talking about have little website pages about COVID, um, but not super specific policies. There was quite a bit of money in the, Liberal budget um, for endometriosis, which is really interesting because I think young women is probably a demographic that the LNP doesn't necessarily appeal to um, at first glance. But when you actually look at some of that, it's like, well, it's money for MRIs, which is great. But like endometriosis doesn't really show up on MRIs usually. So just interesting where the money's going and what the money's doing. And Mm. yeah. Um, the Greens, dental care on Medicare, sure. Why not? If the dental care isn't on Medicare. Mm. And also something that we've spoken about before is they want to make like bulk billing GPs more accessible mm-hmm. um, because there's a real scarcity of them. So that's that's good. But yeah, basically, yeah, all the like both major parties and the Greens have promise to make big investments in like mainly the hospital system to cope with COVID-19 which is something that is pretty long overdue 
there's some mental health funding um, being proposed, but it's not it's not a major issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and the LNP has actually like over the past few years, I think, committed quite a bit of money to mental health support. I don't know exactly what programs that has gone towards, though. Um, yeah, the I think one of the biggest things from that we've seen from the Libnats is keeping telehealth on Medicare for mm-hmm. health services. Um, I hope that that's a permanent um, inclusion post-COVID. And um, we're also seeing, like, you get quite a few more sessions as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Care plans. Um, I don't think there's been any changes to the chronic health care management plan. Um, for those who don't know, chronic health care management plan is like a mental health care plan, but you get $50 off five sessions from an allied health professional um but there hasn't been too many changes on that yeah yeah and also um all three of the parties that we're talking about have like pretty strong vaccination requirements that yeah it upholds so good on them get your three jabs get a get a fourth in a few months it's nearly time. I'm kind of like, give it to me right now. <laughs> and also, I really want the Japanese. When is the Japanese encephalitis vaccine dropping? Give it to me now. <laughs> when is it dropping? Is Kanye <laughs> going to drop it on that little, um? what's it called? The like STEM player? Yeah. I, like, when is the launch party? I'll be there. I'll be the listening party. <laughs> yeah. I just got my flu shot. I'm like, give me, where's my, where's my next one? Well, then you have to wait two weeks. I'm quite happy to wait two weeks. Apparently it's on its way. The Japanese encephalitis vaccine. I'm really excited. Oh, wow. Yeah. In the meantime, citronella in that diffuser. <laughs> Some do what we got to do. I know. My old housemate was like, Ava, you're being ridiculous. Like, we don't live near any piggeries. And I was like, <laughs> what? Like, but they could, they could come. Like, a pig's, a car full of pigs could drive past and... The Japanese is have a lot. And then I bet you'll feel really stupid. Yeah. Just inside the workings of a hypochondriac. Um, and then obviously there's like heaps of policies. Like we couldn't go through every single policy of every party, but um, the last kind of one that we had on the list is NDIS. Cause I think this is a really important one and it gets thrown around a lot. And like, we never really seem to see any substantive change or like benefit. Mm it seems to be this kind of thing that is constantly morphing into like more and more problematic versions of itself. Obviously the AIS is vital and mm-hmm. really important system, but the modeling of it can create a lot of problems. So, yeah. Yeah. So summarize it, give us the spark notes. What's going to change? Well, I I couldn't find the tab on the website like about disability for um, the Libnats, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have any policies on it. Um, in their budget speech, they talked about the fact that it will always be fully funded um, and that funding will grow and they've also increased the limit for assisted... It's basically like assisted technology. Um, mm. Yeah. So some increased funding for assistive technology um, and, yeah, fully funding. Uh, the Greens obviously have quite strong policies on the NDIS, um, um, but they have a lot of things about um, lifting the staffing cap on the NDIS, um, include uh, improving training for staff because a lot of the times, like, the people involved in the NDIS are just bureaucrats. They're not people in the disability space. Um, and that can create some problems and also better support for funding of assistant animals, um, which is really interesting and good. Um, and then from the Labor Party, it's pretty much the same, like less cuts and more accountability mechanisms. So one policy that I found quite interesting is that Labor will match additional funding for NDIS appeals providers to cope with the number of AAT cases. Because I think what a lot of people don't realise is that you can spend like a lot of time getting your plan and then 
it's not enough money. Obviously, you need to appeal that. The appeals process can take six months. Like by the time you've been through all of that, you need legal counsel. You need to go to the AIT. You got to fill out a bunch of forms. You got to pay the money. Like it's a really difficult system um, to kind of appeal mm-hmm. those administrative decisions. So, but yeah, that's kind of a little summary of some policies that you might want to take a look at. Obviously, take everything we say with a grain of salt and just jump on the website because they're all designed for you to be able to go on and have a little look at um, what you think is most important. What do you think? Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on Vote Compass? Do you rate Vote Compass? What is Vote Compass? For the vote Compass? Well, we know that I love the ABC. Um, it's basically just you work out how your beliefs match up with that of political parties. Mm-hmm. And you can yeah, weigh, I, weigh the graph. So, like, if you really care about immigration, you can weigh to see, like, which party's policies about immigration align best with your views and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I think I sent you a TikTok today and it's, like, me filling in vote compass, like, every year, even though I know, like, yeah, yeah. who I'm voting for. Yeah, I saved that one to put in our little slide of TikTok um yeah so that's a really good resource as well if you're like well like I don't know where to start just do the little quiz and they'll help you out yeah that's really nice and to you know further disentangle and decomplicate this even more (laughs) we're going to go through the names of some of because there's like a hundred parties and they all just have really like generic names and it's so annoying Mm. And they keep changing them as well. Like, yeah. like fluoride free became the health party. I think I've seen that it's changed its name again. It has. The informed medical opinions party. Grow up. Um, I read this great article about like regulation for party names. Um, so uh, certain words, um, are like controlled and some that you think might be aren't um and there's some like kind of law reform on this it's an article in ospop law so i have a link to that there below but do you want to go through some of these because some of these are really good oh my god so there's so many good ones so i'm just going alphabetically through the ones that i was like i looked at the name and i was like i don't know what you stand for so the first one is Australian Democrats, whose slogan is keep the bastards honest, which I love. Um, basically, they were formed out of a centrist party and also an agriculturally focused party. So they're basically pretty centrist. Most of their positions are somewhere between Labor Party and Liberal Party. So that's a pretty innocuous one. Like when you get to the middle of the ballot, you know, if you're in between Liberal and Labor, they're pretty much in between Liberal and Labor too. Mm-hmm. We have the Australian Federation Party. So this, they've had a sneaky, the AFP. That's bad. They've actually. had a sneaky name change as well. They used to be the Country Alliance. So clearly they wanted to appeal to our city slickers. So they changed their name. And their kind of interesting thing is like, there are lots of parties like this that don't actually have any policies. They just have like vibes. So the AFP's vibe is open source democracy and they use like lots of like cryptocurrency, like blockchain type of language in their website. It's really like, it's quite off-putting. But the idea is that every policy gets like drafted um, or has input from the public. So it's basically like direct democracy is the idea. So as a voter, if you vote in, the AFP, you get to have a say on every single issue. Yeah. Yeah. Not the Australian Federal Police. <laughs> Not the Australian Federal oh, Police. Um, Australian Federal Police. This podcast is in no way affiliated with the Australian Federal Police. Um, yeah. The next one is Australian Progressives. Um, I just found this interesting. It's like a merger of a few parties, one of which was called the Smashed Avocado Party. So pretty slay. Again, they're quite centrist, similar to the Australian Democrats, um, but one of their notable policies is they have quite a strong, like, Indigenous 
policy platform and want a treaty with First Nations peoples. So that's nice. Yeah. What else do we have? We have the Australian Values Party. Um, they're new. They're all about defence and veterans affair. And their slogan is stop voting on policies, start voting on people. No. Yeah. I know we said we weren't going to try and influence you, but um, just think about that statement for a moment. I want to talk about Nick Xenophon. I love, well, I don't love Nick Xenophon as a person, but I love his, when, I love him riding around in the tiny car. There I said it. Okay, so Nick Xenophon has done a very sneaky name change. Um, his party is now called the Centre Alliance. And if you go on their website, it's literally just all about South Australia. It's like South Australia first, South Australia, like everything <laughs> is just South Australia. Guys, stop what you're doing right now and look up the video of Nick Xenophon riding around in a tiny car. That's all I have to say about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about Fusion? Tell us about that. Your favourite part of that. The Pirate Party. Oh, my God. I love the Pirate Party. Do you know why I love the Pirate Party? Because you think Pirate Party, is it a party of pirates? No, it's about copyright law and piracy and net neutrality and freedom of information and their website is is great and I just it's so fun I love a fun novel party name like Wagsit or Pirate or the sex party which we can talk about in a sec you know just a bit of fun a bit of fun um micro party vibes yeah so they're quite fun. That's um, a combination of the Science Party, the Pirate Party, the Secular Party and the Climate Emergency Party. So they're just very much like they don't have like policy platforms that are detailed over everything. They're kind of a bit more issue specific, um, but they're pretty like I would say more aligned to the Greens if you're going to align them to any of the three biggest parties Mm -hmm. um but yeah they have like some kind of niche policies yeah and I think like I don't know if they've ever had a seat but no I don't think I don't think they have no um if there's one party that actually no there's two parties that I want to implore you to really think about before voting for them Um, And this one is the Informed Medical Options Party, which has been called Fluoride-Free WA. Um, Dentists hate them. Dentists hate them. Basically, they're anti-vax, anti-putting fluoride in the water and anti-5G. If you read Um, the website, it's it's crazy. It's bash. (laughs) It's like, you know really taking do your own research to the next level yeah and one of their um 2019 candidates made a video about coronavirus this was in 2020 he said you can't catch a virus it's impossible the only way you can catch a virus is by having it injected into your bloodstream has he never um and, (laughs) and that got removed from both facebook and youtube for being in breach of their policies yeah uh, reason Australia, formerly known as the Sex Party. Hell That's yeah. a sad rebrand. Um, they've got like Jane Caro running for them. Yeah. Uh, and it was started by, oh, what's her name? Uh, Fiona Patton, who's kind of big in the like um, sex work decriminalisation space. Um, and now they've kind of shifted towards like voluntary assisted dying laws um, and other issues of that nature. Beautiful. And now the last one I'm going to talk about is the Great Australian Party, which like I think the kind of tonal similarities to Make America Great Again are not lost on them. Their website looks fake. Like it's, it looks like a joke. It has like a little like gif of a kangaroo on it. It's so bad. Um, And they're basically huge conspiracy theorists. 
um, and they have all these really controversial things. They want to abolish the family court because responsible parents should not have their authority eroded by frivolous legislation or United Nations treaties. Um, they believe that firearms ownership is a right, not a privilege. And at one point they announced that Pete Evans was going to be a candidate uh, for the Senate in New South Wales. Luckily, he is not actually doing this, but he's still pretty buddy-buddy with these people. They have a section on their website called Donate to Defend Section 92 High Court Cullerton Matter. What's Section 92 of the Constitution? Let me grab my pocket constitution. <laughs> um, like what? So, so strange. On the imposition of uniform duties of customs, trade and commerce and intercourse among the states, whether by means of internal carriage or ocean navigation shall be absolutely free. Oh, it's kind of Clive Palmer energy about like Palmer and WA about like trying to enter into the states. That's crazy. Um, Let me just again, once again, flex my public constitution. Um yeah what yeah and there's like lots of grammatical errors on their website just like really anyone can make a political party these days wow they have a freedom and unity cocktail party with canapes and a party band a party band crimes they have a website they have a tab on their website that says crimes against crimes against what I have to click on it. Mm, these fringe parties love to pull out like the Magna Carta. And be like, Let me live. <laughs> they love to be like in 1215, King John. Oh my God. People didn't like him, you know? That is really funny. Um, obviously, yeah, there's too much for us little idiots to cover like little bimbos to cover about the whole election and so we'll beef up the episode notes but I wanted to talk about my king Anthony Green oh, please please do so he's the king pacifologist of Australia for those uninitiated a pacifologist is like somebody who studies voting patterns um and this is from his wikipedia page as of 2022, he's analysed over 70 Australian territory, state and federal elections in the ABC. Um, he actually designed the computer system that he uses to display and predict election results based on... Oh, my God. Things. Not just a pretty face. And he has great ties, uh, as in, like, neckties. And he has an order of Australia, and I love him. And he's, like, an unproblematic king. He is, like... I do not care who wins. I just crunch the numbers, baby. So I love that for him. Um, Yeah, he is on the ABC. Also, something's going on in, like, obviously the media. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I'm on Twitter this election. And I'm like, what's going on with the media? Like, um, Today, ABC, your bias is showing, was trending on Twitter. There's so many, like, weird pylons. Um, Obviously, the Murdoch media keeps making all these graphs that are, like, not just a bit bit of an interesting way to shape the data. Um, An ABC reporter, like, made a list of, like, people that she didn't like on Twitter and someone found it and it went out of control, like... All, all the gotcha questions, like, I don't know if you want to weigh in on the gotchas, but, you know, very rarely do I agree with John Howard. And when he was like, stop it, I was like, yeah. Yeah. Stop asking people what the, I don't know, I was going to say KPI is, but I just think I made that up. <laughs> like what the cash rate is and stuff. Yeah. I'm really just... I don't think there's really been, like, good election coverage from any sources, really, which is why I recommended the Batuta Advocate and the Chaser at the start of this. Because, like, 
what is a good it's probably just as neutral as everything else yeah I guess I would yeah say look to sources where they declare their biases and Mm -hmm. make yourself aware like just like you know consuming election media should be a two-step process even the things that we're saying like they're not authoritative statements yeah yeah they're just marbo constitution vibes um yeah yes and obviously basically all of the media in Australia is owned by either Rupert Murdoch or Seven News um so that's also just something to think about like you may not be getting views across the spectrum just by consuming like sources that have different names Mm -hmm. good to follow up on that one and yeah Yeah. maybe delete twitter guys some of you need to go outside some people do need to go outside some people need to log off twitter like i i can't like i i go on twitter for like five minutes and i like might read some funny tweets and then like see something from the aec and then I, I have to stop because it's just insane, like, what people get up to on that website. Like, I fear um, I fear for what happens when Elon Musk becomes the owner of Twitter. I fear. Honestly, I think, like, we have enough free speech. Like, people are like, oh, my God, free speech is dead. Like, no. We have, I would say, too much, but I'm not going to infringe. I think I have too much freedom of speech. Um. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that freedom of speech does not mean freedom of responsibility from speech. Also, just like, I think that's the whole Twitter, you know, rise of social media has definitely contributed to the very like presidentialization or personalization of politics as well. Like at the end of the day, you do want to remember that like you're voting for a party or for you know a member of party a party to implement policy and back in the day like it's good you know to have as much information as you can but back in the day you wouldn't have really known that much about say a politician's private life Mm. um and a lot of the times it probably isn't actually that relevant to how they do their job Mm -hmm. yeah I agree Although it's always fun to read their biographies after. Oh, it's so fun. We're up to. Like, it's definitely fun and good information, but don't let it, like, completely decide things for you because also so much of it is in branding. Like, we all... Do you have a low-stakes hot take? Mm. I've just been thinking a lot about things uh, since I'm in Nam in Melbourne, been thinking a lot about things that I think are going to come back and I think skinny scarves fingerless gloves and heinous graphic tees are on the way back I did notice a lot of scarves when I was in Nam like like singlet white t-shirt and top and then just like the ugliest scarf I've ever seen from Brunswick Savers and I was like yeah okay that's a fit like those big thick acne studio scarves were the things no next thing is going to be like it's going to be like the Veronica's for Target, I think, is like the next, the next wave. Yeah. What about you? Low stakes hot table? Peanut butter is savory. Agreed. A hundred percent. Like satay sauce. Oh. Mm-hmm. 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 That's where it belongs. It belongs in yeah. peanut noodle salad. Mm-hmm. And that's all I have to say about that. Well, I'm not I'm not gonna say you're wrong. I also made satay sauce like recently for the first time in ages. And I was like, wow, this is why it tastes so good, because it's just salt, sugar, and peanut butter. Yum. Yum. Delish. My life hack is if you have a jar of peanut butter and there's all little scraggly bits around the sides, mm-hmm. just like make your satay sauce in the jar and shake it up shake it up oh now i just want to eat satay sauce with a spoon 